What comes to mind when you hear the word family? And is there such a thing as too much family? Those who've been trying to raise children in this crazy season of lockdowns and face masks and polarizing issues and all kinds of super stressors out there, I'm sure would have something to say about that. As the oldest of eight kids and homeschooled through junior high, I had something to say about that as well. I remember hearing of those dream families, those families out there that just seem to have everything lined up. Everything was all together. They talk respectfully to each other. They never get on each other's nerves. The children are always eager to fulfill their, their parents' every wish. They were nice to one another. They were helpful. The dream family. That was not my experience growing up. Oh, sure, there would be those people when we'd go out to eat as a family and we'd line our three tables up and after the meal, people would stop on by and say, wow, you have such a well-behaved family. Oh, there's such wonderful manners, your children, and it's a beautiful family. That was nice, but we knew the truth. <laughs> we knew that deep down inside, we were, our family was just full of flawed people who were just trying to do our best just trying to make it through life like everyone else. You know, throughout high school, I didn't appreciate my family. I struggled with bitterness, resentment, anger. I wasn't grateful for the good that my family had done to me. I didn't care much for them, didn't want to be around them much. Don't get me wrong, family is a wonderful thing. But you know as well as I do, Family can be hard, very hard in fact. Family can be challenging. Family will sometimes push you to the brink, stretch you to the limit, and sometimes make you just want to snap. Family is challenging. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Joe shared with us that one of the most important pictures that God gives us of his church is that it's a family. It's a family. It's called the household of God in 1 Timothy 3.15. And in that verse, Paul gives away the reason that he's writing to Timothy in the first place. He writes this. I'm writing these things to you so that you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God. <laughs> now, why does Paul need to give Timothy these instructions for how Christians need to behave as part of God's family, presumably the most well-organized, healthy, functional family that there is? Could it be that Paul knows, just like you and I know, that being a part of a family isn't always easy? That that brothers and sisters, husbands and wives and parents and children, they often have a tendency to get on each other's nerves. They frustrate one another. They often take each other for granted. They mistreat. They misuse one another. They neglect one another. And so very often they hurt one another. Isn't that the truth? Could it be that Paul knew that no matter how healthy a family is, my own selfishness, and my instinctive desire for the solar system of my life, all the planets, all the things that my life entails, that my own desire for that to revolve around me was going to lead me to see my family as an obstacle to personal happiness rather than an opportunity to be Christ 
to them and self-sacrificing to them. (laughs) There's no doubt in my mind. There's no doubt in my mind that Paul was aware of that. As the pastor leader of the church family in Ephesus, Timothy might need some help. He might need some direction when it came to helping that family grow and flourish and be healthy. Any of your parents out there ever just wish that in those moments where you're dealing with your children and there's a situation going on and you just, you're trying to problem solve and you just have that, 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 that urgent desire for some help to just fall from the sky and into your lap so that you might know how to deal with this situation. In our passage this morning, Paul gives Timothy some great insights into how to bring good to God's family. We'll look at three main instructions that he gives to Timothy this morning, how we're supposed to live in the family of God. Take a look at 1 Timothy chapter 5. We'll just read verses 1 through 16 together. It says this, Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father. Younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent, is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well, so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she is brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, and cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire to marry, and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies saying what they should not. So, so I would have younger widows marry, bear children, manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. God bless the reading of his word. How do you bring good to God's family? Families, as we all know, are filled with people, aren't they? And families are filled with imperfect people, people who are flawed, people who even though they may have a relationship with Jesus Christ. They know him. They know his love. They're being transformed from the inside out by his Holy Spirit and are increasingly exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit in their own lives. We know that those people wrestle 
with those old selfish desires, don't they? The Bible calls this the flesh. It's that old fallen earthly nature that lingers within believers. Colossians 3, 5 tells us, put to death, put to death, therefore, what is earthly within you. Paul says in Romans 8, 13, for if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Those urges inside of us that push us to veer away from obedience to God or maybe exchange the truth that he has revealed for our own reasoning or, or some belief that sounds more appealing, those urges that tell you that you are the center of your universe and everybody else just better line up and get with the program and start showing you the respect and the, and the, and the, and the dignity and the honor and the value, whatever it is that you deserve. Those desires, those urges, the Bible tells us are lethal. They'll kill you. Romans 8, 6 says, For the mind set on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Paul, the Apostle Paul, he knew that this stuff was creeping up inside of the church. He knew that there was bad thinking, bad ideas that were spreading all around. They were poisoning the minds of anyone who would listen, and they were causing all kinds of strife and controversy. And he told Timothy, Timothy, you've got to shut this down. But he also recognizes this is a family. This is, and it's not just any family. This is God's family. And families are to be marked by love, aren't they? Love for one another. Children are to honor their parents. Exodus 20.12, Ephesians 6.2. Parents are not to exasperate their children. It's Ephesians 6.4. Husbands and wives, they're supposed to submit to and love one another. We find that in Ephesians 5. Part of Timothy's job was to correct wayward thinking and, and, and wayward living in the church. But the way that he was supposed to do that, ah, that was really important. It mattered. This is a family. It's filled with people that God loves, that God sent Jesus Christ to give his life for, to suffer and die for, that they might become his adopted family, his adopted children. Timothy was to bring good to God's family as he treated them like family. First of all, he was to correct like family. Look at verse 1 again. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters in all purity. Now we know that Timothy was a young pastor whom Paul had told to stand up to some of the members of the church, some of the presumably older members in the church, and they were teaching this different doctrine. This was a serious thing. It was a really big deal. Something had to be done about it. Difficult con 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 conversations had to, had to happen. He couldn't shy away from that responsibility. He had to stand right up to it. He had to, he had to fulfill his obligation. He had to face it. But the way he was to do that, well, he was to do that in such a way that showed the basic respect a father 
or is supposed to get from his child. The Bible makes it clear time and time again. Fathers are to be respected. Proverbs 4, 1 through 4, it says this. Hear, O sons, a father's instruction. Be attentive that you may gain insight. For I give you good precepts. Do not forsake my teaching. When I was a son with my father, tender, the only one in the sight of my mother, he taught me and said to me, let your heart hold fast to my words. Keep my commandments and live. Exodus 21, 17 says, whoever curses his father or mother, this is one of those verses that I didn't really like when I was younger, but now that I'm a parent, uh, it's not so bad actually. Whoever curses his father or mother shall be put to death. <laughs> How's that for news for your children? So when he needed to confront older men, Timothy wasn't supposed to go spouting off and knocking heads with words of rebuke, but instead, how was he supposed to treat them? He was supposed to encourage them as if they were his own father. With great boldness, he had to address the issue, but he was, shown, he was supposed to show restraint out of love and respect. You know, Daniel gives us a great example of this when he has to confront Nebuchadnezzar, the king, in Daniel chapter 4, 27. It says this, Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off from your sins by practicing righteousness and your iniquities by showing mercy to the oppressed, that there may, be, that there may perhaps be a lengthening of your prosperity. Do you see the respect that's there? Do you see the dignity that he's offering? The careful choice of words that plead rather than scourge? Older men, they were to be treated like Timothy's own father. When he needed to correct younger men, he was to treat them like brothers. Perhaps that meant that there was a, the conversation was a little bit more direct. Hey, buddy, uh, you know, what you're doing here is not right. We need to, we need to rethink this. Maybe it, maybe it implied that. It certainly meant that he should treat them in such a way that recognized the common standing that they both shared. There wasn't supposed to be a sense of superiority here. Hey, I'm the pastor, and I know we're the same age here, and we went to the same school, and so many different things are similar in our life, but I'm the pastor, and you listen to me. No, 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 no sense of superiority there. He needed to realize the ground was level at the foot of the cross, he stood on level ground with those other younger men in the church. And so he was to correct them with the understanding that he's no better than them. And even though that, that younger brother or that person in the same age may have been dead wrong in their sin, he was also to recognize that he needed God's grace and God's mercy and God's forgiveness just like everybody else. Older women, he was supposed to treat like mothers. That meant just like the older men, they needed to be shown that same dignity, that respect, that honor. Proverbs 23, 22 says, do not despise your mother when she's old. You can't just write these women off because of their age. Timothy needed to show gentleness and honor, even in those moments when he needed to correct. Yeah, there were going to be times where he needed to correct Older women, as difficult as that was. But Paul had set an example for him in this. As he corrected an issue between some older women in the church of Philippi, 
Apparently, Yodia and Syntyche, they were arguing in such a way that was disrupting the, the unity and the harmony of the church there. And so rather than lash out at them, as he could have done, Paul honors them by gently urging them to live peaceably. And just like that, Timothy was to treat older women with the honor that his own mother deserved. Then he moves from older women to the younger women. And he's to treat the younger women, to correct the younger women as sisters. One pastor adds, as sisters and nothing more. For a young man like Timothy, there would have been temptation, the temptation to look at the interactions he had with these younger ladies in the church as opportunities to become more than just their pastor. And that doesn't surprise us really, does it? Because we hear stories all the time of people in leadership having inappropriate relationships with people that they're supposed to be caring for. That's why in the church, it's crucial that we guard against that. We've got to guard against that. I can remember when I first stepped into ministry as a junior high intern back at a church in Glendora, California, and the pastor called me up into his tiny little office upstairs, and we sat down facing each other. It was so awkward. And he said, Jared, you're in leadership now. You're going to have younger girls below you in your ministry, and they are going to look up to you, and that could create opportunities for something that is not appropriate to happen. You've got to guard against that. You've got to make sure you put boundaries in place right now and make sure that you do not cross those. In fact, make sure those boundaries are clear to those you serve with so they can hold you accountable, so they can watch out for you, so they can keep you in line and within those boundaries. Thank God for that. Now, that has been one of those things that has, has saved me many times in ministry. I can remember one time when a, uh, some parents approached me and they said, you know, I Jared, you know, we really don't think you're doing a good job here. I mean, you're not treating our daughter the way uh, you, a youth pastor should be treating her. You're, not, you're spending all this time with all these guys doing all this discipleship stuff. You're taking them out to lunch. You're going to coffee. You're, you're helping them grow. What are you doing for our daughter? You're not taking our daughter out to coffee. You're not taking our daughter out to lunch. And I said, I'm so sorry, but I have female leaders in the youth ministry who are well-equipped to do that for very good reason. It's for not only my protection, but your daughter's protection, because just because I bear the name pastor does not mean I'm beyond what so many other people have gotten involved in. I want to protect your daughter. That's, that's imp so important. And we need to make sure that we take this advice not only for pastors, not only for leaders in the church, but that all of us in the church pay attention to this and heed the warnings. Let's make sure that we set healthy boundaries so that we don't allow ourselves to get in, into any of these situations where we might face temptation. So let's save the, the long-term ongoing counseling and the discipleship of the opposite sex. Save that 
for the opposite sex. And let's not allow ourselves to be alone or in private with a man or a woman who's not our spouse or our child or close relative. And let's avoid going to lunch or coffee or on outings or even being alone in the same car with the opposite sex as it may lead us in the wrong direction. Or it may just lead others to imagine things that should never be imagined for, for people in God's family. We don't need that. We don't want that. And God has given us wonderful, godly women in our church to minister to women in that way. And the men can minister to the men in that kind of close, intimate kind of way where we come alongside each other and build each other up and help us become exactly who God wants us to be in Christ. We're a family here. And the last thing we want to do is put ourselves in the positions where we, we might do anything but good to one another. And when we need to confront or correct, let's do so in a way that's fitting for family members. Let's love each other. It can be so tempting in our dealings with others to get so frustrated and so abrasive and short and, and even self-righteous when we see the things that are wrong in other people. We see that they need to be corrected. But Timothy was to bring good to God's family as he corrected them as if they were really family. He was also not only to correct, but also care for them like family. Look at verse 3. Honor widows who are truly widows. As the family of God, the church needs to be ready and willing to care for people that God cares about. And that includes widows, that includes orphans, that includes aliens. Not the kind that are flying around in space, the kind that are right here and people living without a home. In Psalm 68.5 says, God, God is the father to the fatherless and protector of widows. Deuteronomy 10.18, he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner. Give him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You know, Jesus condemned the scribes for being people who paraded around in their fancy clothes and, and with all their religious traditions and looking so pious. But at the same time, Jesus pointed out that they were taking advantage of widows. It says they were devouring their houses. Think about this as he hung on the cross. He commended the care of his widowed mother Mary to John, his disciple. If there was ever a moment where he could have been self-focused, when he was enduring all this excruciating pain and, and shame and the agony of the cross, and yet he doesn't do that. That's where we see his extraordinary care, not for, just for the, the people of the world, but for a widow, for his own mother. And we see that shine brightly at the cross. God cares about those who have no means to care for themselves. He cares about them. So he orders his people to care for them as well, to be about the business of, of his business. Just as he's father to the fatherless, you know what? They're supposed to care for those who have no other means of being cared for, no other resources, and care for them as if they're family. In the case of widows, 
In that day, there, there weren't any social services, social programs to provide for them. If they didn't have a family to care for them, well, then they, they didn't have much hope. If you didn't have a family to care for you, and you were beyond the age of where you were thinking you might get married again, their only hope was God. Looking to God that he might provide for them. Maybe some of the Christians in, in, in this church, had, they were aware of Jesus saying, you know what, God cares even for the tiny sparrow that falls to the ground. He cares for you. He's going to provide for you. Look to him. That's what Paul describes in verse 5. He says, left all alone. And they've set their hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. They're looking to God. That's, that's their only hope. So you, as the church, the hands and feet of Jesus Christ, you be there for them. You help care for them. You, you provide for them. But not everybody. Not all widows are you supposed to care for. Paul says there's some who don't qualify for the church's help. Those he describes as being self-indulgent, they're dead even while they're alive. These are the widows whose lifestyles clearly show they don't know Jesus. They're not looking to God as their only source of help. They're, they're off doing other things, trying to seek out other ways. We can only imagine what those ways are, trying to, to, to indulge themselves, make the most out of life. Paul seems to make it clear the church isn't obligated to use its resources to care for them, but only those who are truly widows, widows indeed. That's what the command is. Now, there's something very, very important for us here in verse 4. We do not want to miss this. This is crucial. Remember last week we said that the greatest revolution you should pursue, that you should devote yourself to, is godliness. Because it holds promise, not only for this life, but also the life to come, Paul said. you remember that? The revolution we need is godliness. Well, Paul now makes it clear that there is a connection between caring for widows and caring for, for aging parents and godliness. He ties them together here. It's part of, of the revolution that needs to happen inside. It's part of godliness because if God is the center of your life and you know God, you care about him, you're living your life all for him and you're aligning all aspects of your life to him, well, then you're going to care about the people that God cares about. It's tied to godliness. He writes this in verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own children, to their own household, and to make some return to their parents, for this is pleasing in the sight of God. So you say you're a godly person. How are you treating your mother? How are you treating your grandmother? There are people who are going to churches and they're doing wonderful things. They're involved in this ministry and that ministry and they're giving to the poor and they're writing notes to the pastor and they're neglecting to care for maybe their mom or their dad. 
who is in need. Or maybe they're entrusting other people to take care of those things. Ah, we'll let it. We'll let it. I don't want to deal with it. I, there's too much water under the bridge. It's too complicated. They don't, they don't, I don't agree with them anymore. They disapproved of a marriage or something I did. And yeah, I'll let somebody else deal with that. And the lawns are rising higher. And the roofs are getting sketchier. All kinds of things are going by the wayside. But no, they're, they're not going to help. This is tied to godliness. Are you a godly person? You know, one of the striking things about, about Bethany, about this church, and I noticed this when I first came here two and a half years ago, this is a church where people go out of their way to care for others. They care for their loved ones. They care for people in need. And it's a wonderful thing. That's happening here. And it's often the people who are caring are often the ones who probably could use some care themselves. But they're so filled with the love of Christ that it's just spilling out and they're just meeting needs left and right. That's an awesome thing. And that needs to be a lasting legacy here. It has been. It needs to continue to be in the days ahead. What a wonderful thing of the evidence of the work that God is doing inside of the people here at Bethany. It's a beautiful thing. The way that we treat those who are in need in our families, it either proves or disproves the genuineness of our faith. God has designed family so that children are supposed to be able to, to drift off to sleep at night, their head on the pillow, not giving a care in the world for where their next meal is going to come from, whether or not they'll be safe and their parents will protect them through the night, or whether they'll have clothes on their back. That's the way God designed family. But once they're grown, and once their parents begin to find themselves in a place of need, they are to rise up, the children are to rise up and return the favor by taking care of their parents. You know, in American culture, we have really messed this up. We've told parents that they need to give and give and give, and then when they've given all they have, give some more. You need to scrimp. You need to save. You need to put away so that there, you are never the slightest burden to your children as they get older because their personal happiness and, 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 and their life, and a good life for them, that is the most important thing. In fact... Parents are supposed to now prepay for their funerals so that their kids, uh, when their parents pass away, they don't have to do anything other than maybe at the service say a few words. <laughs> I think that Paul would say to us, no, 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 you've got this all wrong. You've inadvertently taught your children to be ungodly in their relationship to you. You're teaching them to be ungodly. Our children should be raised with the understanding that theirs is not to take and take and take until nothing more can be taken. No, they are to receive with joy. They're to grow. They're to flourish. But then they're to gratefully respond by giving back. You know, Christ didn't lay down his life so that you might wave the get out of jail free card and then go hop, skip, and jump your merry way. 
No, we're to respond by giving God praise and thanksgiving and the service that he deserves. Christ laid down for his life for us, and now you're just going to cut and run? No way. That's not the way it should be. No, the godly, those who have truly received and whose spirits have been made alive and whose eyes have been opened, they go running, they go leaping, yes, and they go praising God, doing the good works that they were created in Christ Jesus for, Ephesians 2. In the same way, godly children, they care for their parents. Paul says in verse 7, command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Boy, this is serious stuff, isn't it? It's so serious. So the church is not to indiscriminately care for every single widow. Verse 16 says, if a believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. It says, let the church not be burdened so that it may care for those who are truly widows. There are times when the church needs to come alongside and urge children to rise up and bless their, their parents with care. If they don't listen, well, they just prove that they really don't know God or have him at the center of their life because God is the father to the fatherless and the protector of widows. Timothy, he was to bring good to God's family as he corrected them like family, also as he cared for the needy like family. Finally, he was to partner like family. Partner like family. Godly families, they don't toss aside their fathers and mothers when they get old and begin to weaken and their minds begin to go. No way. We already mentioned in Proverbs 23, 23, listen to your fathers who, the, listen to your father who gave you life and do not despise your mother when she is old. Not only should we not despise them, godly families, they recognize that aging parents and aging grandparents have a place and a purpose. God has designed them and put them at this place in life for a reason. As long as God gives them breath, they're to give him glory and bring good to others in whatever way that he's enabled them to do so. And Paul recognized that godly widows have great value in the church. Great value, he writes in verse 9. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband, having a reputation for good works, if she's brought up children, shown, responsibility, shown hospitality, have it, has washed the feet of the saints, cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work. So if a woman is past the age where she is likely to, to not get married again, that, that, that age 60 thing, I don't think is a hard and fast. I don't think Paul would say, oh my goodness, you're 59 and a half. Well, you're going to have to wait six months and then, you, then we'll consider you to be enrolled. No, 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 no. I think, I think that had to do with whether or not she was going to be remarried. And that's based on the, the previous verse we looked at in this text. She, she had to be beyond that age. She had to be faithful to her husband. I don't think that means that she only ever had one husband. Or maybe one husband passed away. 
Maybe she did remarry. I think that, that verse means that she is faithful. She was faithful to whoever she was married to. She's used her life to serve others. She's raised her children. She's shown hospitality and so forth. For that woman, let her be enrolled. Literally, let her be put on the list. Church in Ephesus had a list. They had some organization going on there. There was, there was official ministry roles and positions in that church. And here Paul reminds Timothy just how valuable a godly woman can be to the ministry of the church. Don't just look at widows as, as people to be cared for. Don't just look at them as people who need a, hand, uh, a handout here. As some type of burden. Yes, the church is growing. The church is moving. We've got all sorts of cool things going on here. We're reaching the community. Oh, yeah, we've got to care for those widows. Oh, yeah, okay, I guess we'll throw them a bone over here. No, 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 no. These widows have value to the ministry of the church, to the household of God. Now in verses 11 to 15, Timothy is given reasons to not en enroll the younger widows. And that's not to say that these younger widows were not permitted to serve at all in the church. It didn't mean they couldn't be in children's ministry or whatever other ministries there are out there that, that, women can, uh, that women should be serving in. It doesn't mean that, but rather it is, is pointing to that younger women, they, they, sh they shouldn't be placed in this particular category of widows, those widows who are enrolled solely devoted to the ministry of the church and committed, maybe, maybe committed to never marry again, the order of widows, as the early church called it, they shouldn't be admitted to that for various reasons. And 11 through 12, 11 and 12 make it very, very clear that one of those reasons is they might want to get married again. And so what happens when you have a young widow who says, you know what, that looks pretty cool. I want to be enrolled. I want to give my life in service to the church. Maybe they're on fire for the Lord. They just want to be wholly devoted. But then down the road, doing ministry, Mr. Wright comes along and they go, oh, uh, I need to rethink this. Kind of like that, uh, that governess in that movie where she was running through the the green hills of, of the Swiss Alps, and she was serving in that family, and then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, captain. And she starts rethinking her life. And, and Paul says to Timothy, no, 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 you don't want to put a young widow in that position where she makes this covenant commitment to the church, to God, to give her entire life, the rest of her life, to service to the church, and then she has to rethink it. Because there's still that desire beating within her. You don't want to do that. You don't want to bring any shame on her. That's one of the reasons. The second reason that he gives is that they might lack the maturity for such a commitment. Such a commitment. It takes an incredible amount of maturity here. Having these young women retire completely from married life and devote themselves wholly to the church, well, that could potentially lead them to develop some bad habits, Paul says. And so while the older women might be led to make this, this vow of singleness and, and, and they're incredibly valuable to the church, Timothy, Paul says, shouldn't encourage the younger ones to be a part of this. Encourage them to, to remarry. 
But the point that we need to be careful not to miss here is that widows are more than just people to be cared for. Those who are godly have tremendous dignity and value and should be considered as partners in ministry of the church. Church is a family. Timothy was to lead it in such a way that blessed and utilized each member of the family. You and I are to live out our lives in the church considering each other as brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. Family is not always easy, is it? It is not always easy. It can be frustrating. It can be difficult. Sometimes it can even be confusing. Of course it is. We're imperfect people that God has brought together in Christ and is in the process of transforming and making more and more like Jesus. And we're all at different stages on that road. Let's remember to keep in mind Paul's encouragement to Timothy. Let's correct like family showing the respect and dignity and and love that we deserve. Let's care like family, always being ready to meet the needs of those who have no other means, no other resources, and let's partner like family, never taking for granted the purpose that each one of us has as a valuable member of the household of God. Let's be the people that God saved us to be and bring good to God's family. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word, and we thank you for when it gets very, very practical. Sometimes it's hard for us to bridge uh, the gap between when it was written and the practicalities that were given for the church back then and how they fit into life today. And yet, Lord, your word is truth, It was truth back then, it's true today, Lord, and you have called us your people, you've adopted us into your family, we belong to you, we belong to each other, Lord, help us to treat each other that way, help us to to correct each other the way you would have us to correct each other as a family, lovingly, caring for each other, and yet boldly, Lord, help us to care for one another It is so easy to let people go by the wayside and say, someone else is going to do it, someone else is going to take care of them. Especially in our world, Lord, where there are all kinds of programs and social services and ways that people can get help, Lord, let's not neglect our own parents and grandparents. Let's be people who step right up and say, you know what, This 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 is my task, this is my privilege to give back. This is good, this is right, God cares for them, I want to care for them. And Lord, let's partner. Let's never forget that there is value in each and every single member of the body of Christ, Lord. Let's lovingly come beside them and even dream about how they might get involved, how they might be a part, how they might be used. Use even perhaps the last few years, the last few months to bring glory to you and to bring good to others. Thank you for the church, Lord. Thank you for what a wonderful thing it is to be known, to be loved. Lord, those are values that that have grown in the past few months as we've been isolated and alone, discouraged. For some without hope, Lord, 
thank you for the hope that we have in you. We pray these things in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen.